Hello, and welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. I am your host, Tim M. Sullivan. Uh, I've been taking a couple weeks off as a little hiatus for personal reasons, but I'm back in my hosting debut. And with me, I have... Austin's Weebleman. Tanner Richard Kraft. And this week, we have a special guest with us. Andy Compton. Pleasure to have you on the show, Andy. And uh, this week we are talking about the new A24 film, David Lowry's The Green Knight. This is the first A24 film we've talked about on the podcast. This is how we get the film Ooh. students on the viewing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh That's terrifying. Bringing the film bros in. Um, I'm pulling up my Green Knight Google references right now because I came in <laughs> wildly unprepared. I did see the movie, though. So I guess before we get into the questions I'm going to ask, I'll just kind of introduce the source material and sort of its origins. If if you watch the film, you'll notice that at the very beginning, it says a filmed adaptation of the chivalric romance by Anonymous. And the reason why it says that is because um, it's based on a poem from the 14th century called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. The author of this poem, his or her name is Lost to Time. The original manuscript was almost destroyed in a fire, but it survived. Uh, It was a 101 stanza poem, and it's been translated by a couple different authors, one of whom was a guy named uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who you, you might know him from that one book he wrote. I, I think it's called The Silmarillion. Um, no, no, I, it's Ready Player One. Yeah, Charlotte's <laughs> Web. How, how could I have mistaken? That was one person who translated A bunch of other authors have translated it. And there were a couple other uh, film adaptations. I just learned this last night. A guy named Stephen Weeks. Uh, in 1973, he made a film called uh, Going in the Green Knight. And hmm. in 1984, he made a film called Sword of the Valiant. I have not seen these films, so I can't speak for their quality. But apparently they're pretty heavily criticized. I don't know. Just uh, some background on the production of the film. This was originally set to come out uh, May last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, everything changed when the COVID nation attacked. Uh, David Lowry decided that he wanted to go in and change the edit. So he spent six months uh, changing the edit. There was a trailer that was released last year that kind of made it look like this kind of horror type story. And then another trailer was released earlier this year that gave it more of a like epic fantasy adventure type feel. I guess my first question for you all is uh, what were you kind of expecting going in? Uh, Did you have any familiarity with the source material or if not, just uh, based on what you saw from the trailers, kind of what were you expecting? Uh, Austin, we'll start with you. Let it be noted, I hate most fantasy films I encounter, okay? Because they're usually like history films, but romanticized for younger people and the religious. Fantasy for me is like cowards stepping away from writing the superior genre of science fiction. Uh, not that actual history doesn't have cool stories that you can that, that would work on screen, uh, but often fantasy gets treated like animation, where there's like two camps. It's for kids, or if you're doing like adult fantasy, it's for goofy perverts. So 
I, I want adult fantasy with adult stakes for adult audiences and uh, not on TV because I'm not watching Game of Thrones. Uh, when I saw that amazing <laughs> trailer for The Green Knight back in May, it did a ton for me. I, I'd compare my expectations to The Green Knight, most of my expectations for Midsummer. Uh, it held a very threatening quality. The, the look of the film suggested no amount of campiness, and the legend isn't some, like, done-to-death shit, like an interpretation of Robin Hood or the Bible. And uh, being an A24 release, my expectations were sort of R-rated sex, R-rated violence, art house cinematography, borderline mumblecore acting, young director, and a budget that's just big enough you could shoot on location, but not big enough to give you that sort of Marvel legendary picture CGI meltdown shot that fucking great people. And although I'd never heard of the old poem, I was really committed to seeing The Green Knight right when it came out because it looked fucking cool. Awesome. Uh, Tanner, uh, what kind of what were your thoughts going in? So uh, my expectations for the movie were pretty high. I'm a gigantic fan of David Lowry's work as a director. Uh, his past three films have all been like some of my favorites of the year that came out. His last film, I believe, was The Old Man and the Gun, which I fucking loved as Robert Redford sort of send off as an actor. Before that, it was a ghost story, which I thought was this amazing, beautiful thing about grief tragedy. He managed to get me engaged while somebody ate a pie for 10 minutes, all right? So he's a pretty goddamn talented director. And before that, for Disney, he made Pete's Dragon, which was, like, probably, if not the best, one of the best of these live-action sort of Disney remakes. So I had pretty high expectations going in just off of the basis of the director being someone whose work I've been a gigantic fan of up until this point. When I saw that trailer, I, I was pretty locked in. I was getting really hyped for it. I thought this was going to be this great Story. I wasn't, like, expecting Lord of the Rings or with, like, action scenes or some shit, but I was expecting this great sort of epic story. I had really high expectations, and I was really excited for it because of the work of the director. All right. Uh, Andy, uh, what were your thoughts going in? Yeah, so, um, like you guys, I saw the trailer in May of 2020, and I was super hyped, and I kind of also expected this a24 like medieval epic story and i was really really hyped for that because i thought they're gonna go all the way it's gonna be really brutal i never have seen a full episode of game of thrones which is like wild <laughs> and uh so i was like this would be my way of watching game of thrones and like i'm, ju I'm just an idiot i don't know but um I, I know game of thrones is amazing and really raw and violent and all that shit but um because I'm stupid and don't watch it, I was like, I'll get it out of the Green Knight. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, then it went on hold, and like, uh, but I did think the trailer just looked so awesome. Like, when I saw that crown come down and the flaming head, I think that was the first trailer I saw, I was like, holy shit, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, the whole pandemic goes by. I'm still hyped. I'm still hyped. I did definitely have sky-high expectations. I had no idea that there was even source material for this or that there were previous films. I knew it was David Lowry and I'd seen a ghost story and that's it. And I liked a ghost story a lot, but there's something about like those really slow moving art house films where I feel like I'm too dumb to understand what this is truly trying to say. And I'm just like <laughs> making my own interpretations in my head that are like probably just not. You know, I really held back today. I really wanted to watch the Green Knight ending explained or something like that on YouTube today because I'm that guy. I'm like, I, I, I need help. Uh, but like I held back for you guys because I was like, I'm going to come in here just raw dog, you know, come in full stupid so that 
I can just uh, embarrass myself talking about this movie. But uh, yeah, that's my initial thoughts going in. Well, hey, embarrassing yourself is the Bomb Squad experience. Uh, oh, perfect. <laughs> I do that yeah. every goddamn week. It's a way of life. Yeah. <laughs> it's just vibes here. I didn't know that this was kind of based on an Arthurian thing initially until I kind of... I, I follow some people on Twitter who, like, retweet historian stuff. So I kind of started seeing some stuff about uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And so I decided to check out the uh, Tolkien novelization of it. Uh, I've not gotten around to reading Pearl and Sir Orfeo yet, but they're there. I'll read them eventually. Um, So, yeah, I got to actually check out the original source material going in and just kind of my expectations for the film based on the trailers that first trailer made it look like a fantasy horror thing, which I thought was a really cool idea. The following trailer gave it this uh, epic adventure feel while still kind of making it feel like it's going to be something a little more like dangerous, I guess. As some followers of the channel will know that in June I made a video on the Berserk series following the passing of Kentaro Miura. And uh, in the process of making that video, I revisited the manga. And uh, what, what I was getting from rereading the manga, like if that has a very dark horror fantasy feel to it. And so I guess going in, I was kind of hoping I would get like the closest thing to a live action berserk besides Game of Thrones that uh, like we could see on the big screen. So that's kind of what I was thinking I might get out of this movie. But uh, now that we've seen the movie, <laughs> let's talk about our thoughts on the movie. Uh, Austin, we'll start with you. Really want to really, really want to do that again? Because uh, Andy, I am that bitch made punk who watched the ending explain video. I am not oh, bitch. Oh, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Honestly, I like needed it. No, I'm going to be real. Just piggybacking off Tim's point, though. I thought I was going to see a dragon in this. And I was pretty let down. I'll, I'll recut the movie so the dragon from Shrek is in it. Oh, perfect. Yeah, that works. My favorite A24 film, Shrek. The third. Oh, my God. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So good. Oh. Directed by Ari Aster. <laughs> Ari Aster Shrek. <laughs> this was uh, this was this was slightly as far as the night films was slightly under the Dark Knight, but way above Transformers: The Last Knight. Um, <laughs> the chapters worked extremely well for me because it helped a sort of like meandering, confusing journey take shape as some like battery of virtue tests. And uh, watching Gawain just fucking suck fail and like keep passing on over and over again was really wonderful because it added this like psychological dimension a really modern accent to the adventure there were a handful of camera moves and expressionistic lighting choices that really immensed me in the story and nailed the whole like emphasizing how the ordinary was like 
get hitting up against the supernatural. Fucking sound design and score were exceptional. It sounded like a band of old ghosts that had never met a synthesizer using every old instrument to try to fuck me up. <laughs> and while A24 trailers continue to give the impression that they're going to release these really alarming gore films, it was easy enough to come to grips with the slower pace of this adventure. All you had to do was really meet the Christmas game not too long into the film because the looming threat of an on-screen beheading of the protagonist really carried me through the runtime. <laughs> And uh, as for the subjective imagery that people seem to be having the most problems with, I thought the symbols employed were fairly run of the mill. I think this is a classic example of people overthinking how complicated the art's trying to be. It's it's not really advanced cryptology, I don't think. I, I think it's just vague shit about courage and chivalry. Overall, I, I had a really good time with the film in spite of it not quite being what the trailers made me think it was gonna be. All right, awesome. Tanner. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> okay. Um, so I've been joking with Austin in the group chat in general that this podcast is going to make me lose whatever credibility I've ever had. Because, you know, last week I uh, spent a whole five minutes calling Scooby-Doo 2 a masterpiece, and I meant it. The week before <laughs> that I said the new Space Jam movie isn't that bad. So I'm here to say that I wasn't really that into the Green Knight. Um, <laughs> ultimately, what I think it boils down to is, compared to another David Lowry movie, A Ghost Story, I was able to really emotionally connect with that movie because it's about loss. It's about losing someone you love. It's about grief. <clears throat> While this movie's about a guy that comes, I think. I don't know. It was kind of <laughs> weird. I wasn't really connecting with Dev Patel's character um, really at all. Not to any fault of his own. He was doing a good performance, but I just never found anything to latch on to. So ultimately, when he reached his destination, I was like, I don't care. I never really found a reason to care about Dev Patel's character, uh, uh, Gwen. Gwen. Gwen Stacy. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, Gwen Stefani. Um, Gwen Stefani. <laughs> Holla back girl. You got it. <laughs> I ain't no holla back night. So I just ultimately didn't really connect with him as a character. That's not to say this is a bad movie. I, and I still ultimately, I think, liked it mostly because of the stuff in the ending, which we have a whole dedicated question for. So I will probably elaborate on that more. Ben, all the stuff I do like about this movie is mainly packed into the last like 30 minutes, which is really interesting because, you know, there's a whole like hour and a half before the last 30 minutes that I really didn't care for. I don't know if it was an expectations problem or just ultimately that I wasn't able to connect to the movie. At first, I thought I was confused. I ultimately think I get it now. Like Austin was saying, I think I was overthinking it at first. I had to be confused because then uh, that explains why I didn't like it, because I'm a dumb idiot baby that didn't get it. Uh, the issue is, is that I ultimately did get it and I just didn't really care for it that much. There is a lot to like about it, but ultimately on its surface, I was really let down by it. I wanted A24's... Arthurian epic thing, and I kind of just got a... I don't know. I wish Joel Edgerton gave Dev Patel a handjob. The movie probably would have been a whole star better if it was for that. You know, that's, that's fair. <laughs> I said the same thing. <laughs> Someone who gets it! Yeah. Alright, Andy. Uh, what did you think? Yeah. You know, I can't say it enough. I think I would have liked this movie more in hindsight if I watched the ending explained on YouTube. <laughs> I really need to check that out because um, I kind of just meandered through the whole movie and like the cinematography was like stunning. The performances were great. Uh, I do agree with Tanner's point that like I did kind of find it hard to latch on to Dev Patel's character, Gawain. Just like even from the beginning, it didn't seem like there was much of a debate. It was like someone needs to uh, step forward and strike this uh, green knight. And Dev Patel's like, I'll do it. 
and it was just like that, like, and just he's in it, you know, and like that was it. So I was like, okay, this dude is just down for whatever. Like that's that's how he rolls. There just wasn't a huge sense of conflict in the story for me because of that, because. I don't know. I mean, it is about courage. I did understand that much. But, like, it just seemed like he was never, like, truly scared of his quest until, like, the very end whenever he got there. I'm jumping ahead. My overall thoughts were definitely that my expectations were way too high for this. Not only were they high in May of 2020, but I had a year and a half to stew on it and be like, God, dude, I just can't wait for this shit to be over so I can go see The Green Knight. Like, literally, that was like a thought of mine whenever I thought of any movie that was going to come out when all of the bullshit started to slow down with, I know we're not out of the pandemic, but like when it finally started being okay again to go out, I was just like, I am going to go see that movie. That was like a, like, uh, that was my North star through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So the expectations were enormous. And I think that kind of hurt it. Cause I just had a different idea of what the movie was going to be. But also I must say that like, I appreciated all of the just big swings in it. I mean, the, there's a lot of huge metaphorical choices to be uh, interpreted and like uh, I, I always love when people go weird because even if it's too weird, at least you took that big swing. Yeah, those those are all those are all good opinions. Um, and uh, what you what you guys were kind of saying about uh, having trouble latching on to the character and kind of having trouble with the sort of uh, lack of conflict throughout that I think is something that I kind of had trouble with when I was reading the poem uh, was that it was a lot of just like the year leading up to him reaching the end of his quest and I think that's a hard thing to adapt to a film I think they rose to that occasion in the best way that they could it's a hard thing to try to adapt into a film but I think getting David Lauer to do it probably the best choice because like we mentioned a ghost story a lot of what goes into making that film great besides the character work is just sort of the atmosphere of the story and that's kind of what they did here was they made it Mm -hmm. very very atmospheric that kind of kept the interest going as opposed to if they had just kind of made it straightforward so i i saw it Twice, I saw it last weekend for the opening weekend after getting off your set. Hey. Um, hey. <laughs> hey. Uh, I saw it at the end of that weekend, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. And then I saw it again last night because uh, they just started playing it at the High Point, which, as I mentioned on the In the Heights podcast, uh, the High Point is the last remaining cool movie theater in St. Louis. Uh, so you gotta you got to take advantage of the opportunity. On my second viewing, I was able to appreciate it for what it is, as opposed to holding it against what I thought it might be. I think this is just a movie that is going to require multiple viewing, and it's going to require some more time to kind of stew on it. There's definitely something to be said about the way it's kind of structured that, yeah, yeah, it just takes a little more time and... uh, few more additional viewings to really get so yeah uh let's move on to the next question some thoughts on the performances in the film uh but let's let's talk a little more about that austin 
each each character was good in their own way and there were no really bad standouts which was very fortunate dev patel really rolled the nail of a guy who aspires to be someone chivalrous in society in spite of his less impressive nature as a person like he's quiet and ashamed when he's found out to be a sham and he's really over the top when he's pretending to be a knight all without any campiness Alicia Vikander, uh, she slides into two different roles really well, playing both a peasant and a rich lady by shifting up her funky accent, always speaking with conviction that reflects her varying levels of education. Sean Harris fucking rocked as the king because thanks to the medium of film, he was able to deliver quiet fantasy dialogue in a worn out way instead of that shouty shit that people do at Renaissance fairs. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that works a lot. Because back in the old days, getting old was bonkers. It was fucking hard. Were you out? <laughs> and he was probably like 29, like already on his deathbed. Like. <laughs> Being a king isn't hard at all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Erin uh, Kellyman gave me a laugh with her frank delivery while she was playing a ghost. Uh, Barry Cogan. Barry Cogan continues to be a scary, hateable little shit that really deceives you at first about how much trouble he's going to cause. And Ralph Innocent's voice as the Green Knight felt like actual fucking magic. All right. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Uh, Tanner, your thoughts on the performances? All right. After spending the last question dunking on the movie, I'm glad I can say some nice stuff about it now. I thought performances are generally pretty great. I do really agree with Austin's standout with uh, uh, Seth Rogen as the king. I forgot his name already. Um, Sean Harris, Seth Rogen. They're the same guy, right? Same anyway, guy. so Seth Harris I was pretty good as the king. The guy that played the Green Knight. Oh, my God. You just said these names. Why am I so dumb? Uh, I thought, oh, man, they're at, they're applying some crazy. <laughs> you, you, can, you can read. I'll just read off of the Google sheet. I can't tell. The text is coming I'm in. Not, I'm not quite getting it. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you. It's a good You're reminder. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, Ralph, Ralph as the Green Knight. Dude just sounds like that. Dev Patel, I've said this before. Uh, if anything kept me even remotely engaged during the movie's runtime, it was him. I'm not going to lie, when Aaron, Aaron Kellyman showed up, I just kept seeing her character from The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which made me giggle, imagining that character in this situation. Um, <laughs> which is maybe not fair to the actress, but I, you know, I'm a dumb monkey brain. I can't help terrorist it. Terrorist ghost. Um, terrorist ghost. That's a, that's a Metal Gear Solid game, terrorist ghost. <laughs> or that's like the next Mission Impossible movie, ghost terrorist. I thought the performances across the board were generally quite good. They kept me engaged enough, even though uh, this is probably going to be the only time I can bring this up, but there was an issue I had a solid 25% of the time where I could not understand what people were saying, because they were doing it in the most whispery of whisper tones. I don't know. That probably uh, made me have trouble with it. Yeah, Tanner, I'm going to be honest. Uh, If if you had trouble with the dialogue in this, uh, don't read the poem. If you had trouble (laughs) reading Shakespeare in high school, this is worse. But I didn't. I had no problem with Shakespeare in high school. I, I, I think I just I think I'm losing my hearing some days. I don't know, man. I listen to too much punk music, I guess. But, you know, the performances are generally pretty great across the board and it helped make the movie at least somewhat engaging. A lot of my disappointment with the movie lies, I think, in just the plot itself. But I thought the acting that work was pretty much uh, pretty stellar across the board. So mm, that's, a, that's a that's a nice word from Tanner. Andy, take it away. <laughs> yeah, I agree with so much of that. I thought it was really cool how it was kind of like a who's who of A24 actors from like people from The Witch and then people from Killing of a Sacred Deer and It Comes at Night. And just like it was just cool seeing all these people 
come together again something that as every time i saw a new face i was like oh shit it's the a24 epic and uh performances were awesome dev patel was very engaging despite what i said earlier about not being able to latch on to the character that much i agree so much with tanner that i think a lot of my issues with it came from just like a story sense which like it also isn't that kind of film though it's kind of like it does have kind of that art house vibe one million percent in my opinion story-wise it was kind of just like i didn't know exactly what was going on at times and it's like pretty trippy i mean there's a lot of parts where you're like what is actually happening in the real world i agree so much with the barry kogan thing that that dude i just like can't wait to see what he does next because he plays such a specific like piece of shit and I love it. Yeah, I love seeing uh, Ralph Innocent and Kate Dickey, both of the parents from The Witch. I just thought that, that was cool that they were both in this. And uh, I'm a big fan of that movie. Performances across the board were like fantastic. Like it was A plus across the board for me. I, I think like so much of my um, subtle like letdown in the, my tone of voice about this movie is in I expected one thing and got another. And funny enough, Austin, that you mentioned Midsummer at the beginning, the same thing happened to me with that because I'm such an enormous Hereditary fan that I was like, oh my God, Ari Aster's second movie is going to be fucking crazy. And it was just like, there was some parts where it was a little convoluted and like there's a bunch of, it felt like a really awesome collection of scenes, but story-wise was kind of weird to me. And only upon watching it, on blu-ray at home uh a few times have i grown to really appreciate it for what it is and i think that that's sort of what happened with the green knight is i had sky high expectations and now i'm gonna watch it later like you said you got to watch it two times tim mm -hmm. um if i watched it a second time or even a third i feel like i would really appreciate it and also by the way that ending explained and i'm not paid by the ending explained channel on youtube yeah. uh this is in no way an ad i'm not talking about any specific one channel but i'm just saying you know i could have watched that and i'd probably be a more interesting guest but no Fuck. no I, we, we like the going in just raw thoughts uh raw dog in it raw dog oh i uh, feel like a piece of shit no, Tim, Tim's uh, the biggest piece of shit. Yeah. He read the source material. Mm. <laughs> I, I should have read that. I can't. I also I can't read Shakespeare. Uh, I just can't. I don't understand the words. There, and also, like when you were talking about fantasy, Austin, there's this funny Pete Holmes joke, an old joke where he's talking about basically like anything with realms. Like as soon as someone mentions a realm, I'm out. And I was like, I so agree with that. <laughs> like, in this realm, we do this. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I, I'm not a fantasy person. And that's to say how cool this trailer looked that I was like, it's going to make me a fantasy person because it looked like this fantasy epic kind of thing. But also like a dose of horror, like you said, Tim. Mm -hmm. um, even just off the jump, it's like not exactly my wheelhouse. Yeah, that's fair. Um, my yeah, wheelhouse uh, is Shrek the Third. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, my thoughts on the performances align a lot with your guys. Uh, they're uh, all all real solid performances across the board. Um, Dev Patel definitely brings the proper emotions to the character. Like we kind of mentioned on the Excalibur cast, um, in that movie he's played by Liam Neeson, and Liam Neeson's performances is real weird. I think Dev really 
uh, knocks it out of the park. There's no women on the cast, but there's some bi men here. So let's just let's just say it. he's a hot man. Yes, uh, he is an attractive man. Yeah, there's an interview video with David Gallagher for Kingdom Hearts 2 where he goes, Riku's a sexy guy, and I think the gamer girls are going to really appreciate it. And I, I like to think this movie was made with the same heart. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, like you were saying, with Sean Harris playing the king, Kate Dickey playing the queen, uh, they, they both gave a really good uh, performance to the role. It was interesting to see a version of King Arthur and Guinevere that was uh, this kind of quiet, older person type performance. Uh, I think that that gave it sort of a feel that we don't see in a lot of depictions. It made them feel a little more grounded. Yeah, I was just going to say, though, that I wouldn't have even thought to appreciate the way that they went against the cliche of a king and queen until I saw it, because I was totally just expecting, like, gather round, you know, like that <laughs> kind of shit. And uh, he didn't get that, and uh, I appreciated that. It was definitely, I mean, I'm so on the fence. This is my first time speaking about it. I haven't watched a YouTube video about it, so I, the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, did I like the movie a lot? I can't remember at this point, but like, uh, there's definitely a lot to like. So I just, I guess I just want to put it out there that, um, I'm not 100% shitting on the movie. Uh, there's a lot to like. So yeah, I would say those performances were real good. And, uh, Ralph Innocent, he, he was great as the green Knight. Um, uh, mm-hmm. like the makeup on him was incredible. And then just, uh, the way he portrayed the character, his voice, he was just this incredible, intimidating force. And uh, I, I thought that that was a really great part of the film. So I guess moving on to the next question, production design. I think there's a lot to be said about the production design for this film. And that's that's a good thing for any fantasy film. That's, that's the reason why there's no uh, student films that are set in this time period is it's too fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it, would, it would be great to see, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would love yeah. to see it. So, yeah, what, what do you guys think of the production design, Austin? Tanner, do you want to have a stab at this before I go at it? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, why not? This will be fun. I think the production design of this movie is absolutely incredible. Uh, the production design, Austin, I believe you looked it up beforehand. The uh, the name, uh, it was her name is Jade something. I Jade Healy. Jade Healy. Uh, turns out, uh, I I looked at her IMDb page. Well, first off, you sent us that to, 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 to reveal to us she worked on movie forty three to ruin my day. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'll say I, it again: I, 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 everybody worked on movie forty three. <laughs> Nobody's proud of it. Yeah, I, I do not forgive sinners. It turns out she worked on my two favorite movies of twenty nineteen: Marriage Story and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Hmm. Those are my two favorite movies of that year. So I guess I'm not too surprised that the production design of those movies really fantastic. And of course, hell. That they largely shot on location, it helps add a sense of realness to it. I, I you know, I'm a big Marvel superhero fan. I, you know, I'm the problem with moviegoers today, but you know, I can still appreciate good stuff that's shot on location. And the things they do to accentuate the production design help. The castles feel really real and lived in. The green chapel he goes to at the end is just so stunning to look at, with the way nature sort of infected it and revolves around this green knight. 
Uh, that and the cinematography, of course, uh, helped make this really pretty to look at. So, you know, if I like turned my brain off and just like sat back and watched it and vibed, I probably would have uh, had more fun with it. But unfortunately, I have these things called thoughts, which, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, once again, higher intelligence was a mistake. Yeah, you know, but the production design is really gorgeous. It helps immerse you into this setting and helps make the world feel really lived in. And it, it, you buy it. You buy it a lot of because the production design makes it feel real weird. It totally transports you into this older age, which like, I know it sounds like I didn't like the movie. I did like the movie because there's a lot to like about it. It's like Andy and I have been saying the plot just didn't quite connect with us. Uh, Tanner, I'm I'm shocked to hear that your favorite 2019 movie wasn't Joker. I really thought you were going to say Joker, <laughs> Marriage Story, and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. But, um, no, yeah, of course, like uh, it instantly becomes harder to make a, a period piece. And this one was very hyper specific, and I think they absolutely crushed it. I was 100% bought in the entire time and immersed in the world and never questioned it once. Uh, I agree about the Green Chapel. I mean, the whole time you're kind of like anxious to find out what is this Green Chapel? What is it going to look like? And when we got there, it was actually I, I can't remember what the exterior shot looked like. I only remember the interior. They were kind of outside inside, but with all of the plants and everything and the Green Knight sitting up in the throne. But that alone was just really cool and really interesting. That whole scene, that whole beheading scene was just so interesting. That's when, again, a lot of the movie moved a little slow for me and I was kind of like, I just don't know what's happening right now but then by the time we got to that i was locked in again when we got to the green chapel and i do want to say on to your point about the makeup on the green knight was just like absolutely amazing the costume worked throughout the whole movie but then the makeup on the green knight was one of the coolest things i've ever seen honestly i really oh, yeah. really loved that yeah that dude that dude was group fucking um yeah no shit <laughs> that was Groot's dad <laughs> Mr. Groot. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Groot. That's uh, Groot Senior, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Jade Healy, you've been on fire since 2017. Uh, shout out to Darren Kremens, Colin Davidson, and Kathy Hagerty. They were high up in the art department. Uh, everyone really rocked the fuck out of this. Uh, right off the bat, the impression made by the Jesusless nativity story stocked with like animals. Uh, and then mm -hmm. the building catches on fire and it all lets you know that it's Christmas. That was so fucking cheeky. I love that shit. Mm -hmm. The interiors were spectacular, uh, especially the castle with the Lord and the lady at it, because there were like these fucking interior paintings on the walls, full ass libra library, these period accurate tarot cards at one point. Shit was wild. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. the, the puppet show, which has had me fucking scared of this film ever since the first trailer. And then uh, mm -hmm. the Green Chapel reminded me of a less like PCP'd up version of uh, Carcosa from True Detective season one. Check that out if you ever want to see some shit that reminds you of the Green Chapel, but is just just really trying to make you shit your pants. <laughs> I want to do that for sure. <laughs> Best season of television ever, hands down. Amazingly, everything that the production designer did somehow fits that age. 24 sort of amorphous aesthetic uh, like a lot of a24 it's just house core but it's cool to see what a24 is when it's not just one really expensive house set and they sort of branch out everything from the calligraphy down to the design of all the shit really worked for me they fucking nailed it yeah i i completely agree the production design was really amazing and again to bring up excalibur that that was another one where the production design was a huge part of what made it 
uh, really interesting to watch. I think this is like a little more low key with it, but it's equally effective. And like I, I saw a tweet a couple of days ago that was kind of praising how this movie was made for so much cheaper than uh, your Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings because it was made on location and it was largely practical and it still looks fucking incredible. And I, I think that actually makes it look even better because there's a more of a realness to it. Uh, I really like the Winifred sequence. I think that kind of helped add some of that spooky element to it. And that had a really good atmosphere and just a good set in general. Yeah, I, I really liked Arthur's castle, the the whole round table thing. That looked really uh, almost like isolated, I guess. It had this feeling like they, they were all together enjoying their Christmas feast. And then Green Knight comes in and everything's fucked. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciated the work that went into the production design because it made it look and feel really great. And it, it made it feel like a lot of things don't really anymore because they're so heavy on the CG. And like you, you see art house period piece stuff all the time, like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, The Witch. Uh, and I, I guess The Witch is a little closer to this but maybe on less of a grand scale. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that it looks great and it feels great. So now... Even the horses looked old as shit. Yeah. (laughs) They look really accurate. Yeah, they've they've been working their asses off. Yeah, for centuries. So now I get to the final question. We're going to talk about the ending of the film. I feel like the ending is probably... What's going to be the most divisive aspect of the film? Maybe not in this podcast, but just kind of in general with uh, opinions. Because some some could argue that it's an anticlimactic ending, which you're not wrong. But basically in the movie, it ends with Gawain going to the Green Chapel. He waits for the Green Knight to wake up. And then when the Green Knight wakes up, he asks, is this Christmas? And he says, yes. And he goes, you remember where you struck me? And he goes in the neck. And he's like, are you here to receive this blow? And he says, yes. And so then he comes with the axe. He goes to swing. He flinches. And then Green Knight gives him shit for it. And so then he kind of tries to collect himself. And then he's about to swing again. And then he runs off. And he go- gets on his horse. And he goes home. We see him getting knighted. He impregnates Essel and has a son and then after Arthur dies he becomes king and he leads his son into battle and his son dies and then he's sitting on the throne and he just looks miserable the entire time. At one point uh, the castle door gets busted open. He We see a hole in his shirt and he pulls out the green girdle and then now that he doesn't have his invincibility armor thing his head just falls off and he dies and then we find out that this was all a vision and so then he goes wait and then he takes off the girdle and he goes i'm ready green knight goes cool off with your head and it cuts the black doesn't cut the black it cuts through the green knight and then roll credits so that's what happens in the movie 
In the poem, it's a little different. He goes to do the swing. First time he flinches. And then second time he goes, I'm ready. And the Green Knight just kind of goes, this is a test to show your courage. And then Gawain kind of gets his armor and gets ready to fight. And then the Green Knight reveals that he is the Lord Bertilac de Hop Desert, I think is how that's pronounced. I've only read it. And he reveals that he was uh, possessed by the witch Morgana Le Fay who is uh, King Arthur's half-sister. So then he goes back home, and uh, he, he has this nick on his uh, neck from where the Green Knight had attacked him, and he kind of reveals to the round table that he didn't fulfill his quest, and so he's he kind of feels like he's a coward, and they kind of praise him. They're like, no, no, you, you did good. So there's there's definitely a big difference in these two endings, which was something that, to me, made it something I had to process a little more. B- beyond that, uh, what, what were your thoughts on the ending? Uh, what did you think? Austin, we'll start with you. Uh, it's from I Want to Stay Consistent as the guy who wishes fantasy was more like sci-fi. Uh, three words, one for each interpretation of the ending in the film. I loved it. Lowry's decision to sort of extend the plot temporally into the span of his whole ass life, uh, the rise and fall of Camelot, that, that must have taken a lot of extra resources. It fully hits you with the gravity of how an unearned sense of honor and chivalry can, like, fuck everything up. And uh, watching Gawain turn into a real shitbag really complimented the moment that it snaps back to the chapel. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you know the ending of the actual story, it really feels like a have your cake and eat it too moment. Uh, because, it, you know, in the poem, it's revealed someone else is the Green Knight, and this was all a bravery test. And, uh, you know, it, it was just all to make Gawain suck less. But then you, you can't have that with an A24 film. I, I think it's odd how, like, art house and ambiguous endings are so often bedfellows like i don't know it's a gimmick and i'm not entirely sure how much was added leaving it up to the audience to decide if gawain mcfucking dies because there's some setup with his mother summoning the green knight so making this not a game at the end i don't know if it makes the movie better that's the one part i I was sort of like up in the air with uh yeah i didn't know if the ending worked compared to the ending of the poem once you read about it all right. Tanner, what are your thoughts on the ending? Oh, the ending is the only thing that did work in the movie. <laughs> yes! Synergy! <laughs> Tanner woke you know. up and chose violence. Yeah, no shit. Austin, I know where you live. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, ultimately, uh, I, I thought the ending, that, that montage sequence, which was purely visual storytelling without any dialogue, that's when I was the most sucked in to the movie. Maybe it's because there was an actual plot I could, like, connect with and be like, okay, wait, no, I get this. He's a shithead. Oh, I'm a shithead. Oh, he's just like me for real. Um, so, you know, uh, um, that was something I could more latch onto and was able to, like, sort of contextualize the movie in a sense where I was like, okay, I, I kind of get it now. I ultimately interpreted the ending of the film rather unambiguously. I thought the Green Knight was just like, ah, you silly little goose, off with your head, and then he kind of just flicks at him. I thought that was just sort of like a joke. He was like, ah, you did good, kid. Get the fuck out of here. But, you know, it's definitely ambiguous. Um, 
that's just my personal interpretation. I just thought it was really great to see, like, have this vision play out before his eyes where he discovers what happens if he's a shithead. Um, God, I wish someone gave me that when I was 18. My life would have turned out a whole lot better. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that ending was one of the things that actually really emotionally resonated with me and connected with me, only because it was the only thing I could actually latch on to. And I ultimately think that was what uh, made the movie go from, like, I'm going to rank this under Space Jam to I'm going to rank this above Space Jam in my uh, end of the year list. So I uh, went from idiot to Austin shaking Cursed. his head. Like, why is that even Cursed a question? fucking sentence. <laughs> Listen, listen. Comedies, Space Jam 2, LeBron dunk a basketball. That's all I wanted. Um, but yeah, Green Knight, I, I, uh, uh, the ending is what really made the movie, the movie click for me at all. And I think without that sort of ambiguous ending, without that sort of montage, I would not have liked it at all. So this definitely, I think, was needed, and it was probably my favorite part of the movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Andy, take it away. Yeah, I feel like me and Tanner had such similar takes on this movie. And like, uh, cause I did enjoy that montage and that's, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I feel so stupid even talking about this movie because I, I literally understood it so little, like all that shit going on with the mom and like the green belt that later gets cummed on and like all of the shit. I didn't understand a lot of that, like a good portion. Like I'd just be like, Oh, there's the mom again. What the fuck is she doing? Like, I just didn't know. And I figured like, maybe I missed something, but also like, I'm like straight up, just like I've been exhausted after shooting, uh, Ethan and Edna that I'm like, is it because I'm so brain dead that like, I'm just not getting this. However, in the end, whenever we go through that whole montage, I'm like, okay, yeah. So this is a night story about honor and, you know, integrity. And, uh, and if he should choose to walk away from his destiny, which is he drew the card of striking the green knight on the neck and he agreed to take that blow in one year's time and if he walks away from that like a coward that this is how his life is going to play it out so that was more of like a traditional story arc that I could like that I could finally latch on to that and be like oh okay so it is about morality and honor and all those things and uh so I got that also I thought it was just really fucking badass for the last line to be like a very gentle almost like fatherly like off with your head you know, mm-hmm. like uh, it was I just thought that was like when that ended, it just like sent like a like a shock through me. I was like, wow, that was really impactful. That one sentence. And also part of it is Ralph Innocent, just how badass he played the Green Knight. So weirdly, like I said, I felt like I was meandering through a lot of the movie and just like trying to catch on to what's going on in the story, but also being like, man, that looks incredible. Or, wow, I can tell that's a great performance, even though I don't know what the fuck is happening in the story. And then when we get to that ending, I was like, holy shit, because I am a firm believer of um, you can have a great movie for an hour and 20 minutes and then fuck up the ending and people are going to see it as a bad movie. They're going to remember it as a bad movie all the way through. But you can also have kind of a mediocre movie for an hour and 20 minutes and end with a bang and people are going to be like, that was a cool movie. Like, I enjoyed that. And that's kind of what this was. Like, I could tell that the movie was awesome the entire time. Like, because like we've established, there's so much to like. The production design was on point. The performances are on point. The cinematography is stunning. Uh, also, it's avoiding a lot of cliches and things that we thought we were going to see. And then by the ending, uh, the montage part, cool. And like, you know, I guess I could have lived without it. I could have been with or without it, honestly. I did think it 
was cool and it belonged. But like, I always kind of like, I always pull back a little bit whenever it's that, oh, it was all a dream thing. Like, <laughs> even if it's in like the middle of the movie, you know, or like just some kind of dream sequence, there's just something about it that like, I think it's because of how Tin Box ended. <laughs> and like, and like ever since then being like, God, I hate that I did that because only after I ended Tin Box that way did I see like articles being like, hey, here's something really student filmy end your film and it was all a dream and like my uh, tin box wasn't necessarily a dream it was more of like an overdosing uh thing in your yeah, brain that but like that is, uh, that is but, how i feel about the ending of the other side is uh oh it's this film about this guy who dies oh wait he he lives at the end yeah it's almost like a cop-out from where your story was going so that's the only reason i say that that montage i could have lived with or without it but it definitely felt like it belonged in the finished product and the fact that it wasn't the entire end of the movie that the end of the movie actually was like a face your destiny this is the card you drew die with honor and again having ralph innocent say that line in such a cool almost like mentorish fatherly way um the ending really did work for me and it made me walk away from it being like, I just kind of need to see the movie again. You know, uh, it's definitely one of those movies that I need to be fair to myself and anyone else who's only seen it once. I don't think a lot of people are going to fully have a good and their own interpretation of it until more than one viewing. I mean, there's so much uh, subtext in there and metaphor and all these things that I feel like uh, I'm slow to pick up on anyway. Because I just like watching traditional dramedies. No, but uh, <laughs> really, like, I just need to dig deeper into the movie. But the ending was good. Uh, it's good. It's good that you bring up that fatherly delivery because that means I can now say this is a movie about Dad's Rock Baby. We got it in Dad's Rock <laughs> Baby. Yes. We did. We got one. Thank you, Andy, for giving me the opportunity. Back in Black just starts playing. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, I I think I kind of agree with these points. Like initially, when I was watching it the first time. I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it. And then, like, as the montage kept going, I kind of kept getting more and more out of it. And then at the end, I did think that that final note of it was powerful. Upon second viewing, I think I just got an even deeper appreciation of that note of it. I think one of the things that I really appreciate about it is just, like, the aspect of facing your own death. Because death is one of those things where, like, you don't think about it a lot. But when you do, you realize it's fucking terrifying. It's it's one of those things just kind of in the back of your head. And then when it's not in the back of your head and it's in the front of your head, you're really uncomfortable with it. Like, I recently made an experimental short that I kind of envisioned it as sort of what you're seeing in the moments before you die. Uh, the night that I've exported my final cut, submitted it to showcase, I had trouble sleeping because I like had to, I had to like look at what I think death looks like. And I'm like, this is fucking creepy. I think it's handled really well here because like he's going through this whole journey with uh, the preparation of dying, and then when he finally faces it, he's terrified of it, which I think mm-hmm. is the reality of it. Like, mm-hmm. no matter how ready you think you are, you're not. 
And especially someone posing as a brave knight. He has this vision of uh, what his life is like if he uh, runs away from this and continues to live on. And it's just this horrible life. It's a horrible life. A hit Christmas film. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. A24 presents Next Winter. Uh, by the way, uh, the next time a dude bro tells me that Die Hard is the best Christmas movie, I'm going to say, fuck you, The Green Knight's the best Christmas movie. Oh, shit. When when in reality, the real best Christmas movie is Tokyo Godfathers. Uh, I believe the best Christmas uh, movie is Iron Man 3. Um, <laughs> okay. I like Jingle All the Way. I'm not even That's joking. I love that movie. Good pick. It's a great movie. Yeah, I guess that kind of kind of covered what I appreciated about the ending. Yeah, any any departing thoughts, uh, Austin? I I liked it for what it was, even though it wasn't what I thought it was. I look forward to repeat viewings of the film. I think that's the main takeaway from this podcast is that David Lowery gave us a rich film to enjoy for multiple viewings. I had a great time with it in the theater. Highly recommend people see it if they can. Although with a Delta variant, let me tell you, when it, when it comes home, you're probably going to have a great time with it anyway. Tanner? Uh, when I walked out of this movie, I said, I'm not an idiot. At least I don't think I am. Um, and after this podcast, I think, I'm not an idiot. At least I don't think I am. Uh, maybe I really do just need to watch this movie twice. I'm just glad that Andy, Andy was, Andy's opinions were kind of on the same wavelength as mine. It makes me feel less dumb. So <laughs> <laughs> We're dumb together. Here we go. And Andy. Yeah, my closing thought is I'm going to jet over to Ending Explained and watch that shit. <laughs> And uh, kind of figure out what I watched whenever I was in the theater. Like, I mean, uh, it's just that I know that there was so much interesting stuff going on that I just wasn't fully grasping. Like, I still don't quite know everything that was going on when he, like, was in the girl's bed. And, you know, she's his spirit and she wakes him up to retrieve the thing in the bottom of the water and blah, blah, blah. Like, the way I'm explaining this like an idiot, that's how much I understood that part. I was like, what is happening? And again, it's just I I knew it was super interesting to look at and uh, I knew there was a deeper meaning to it. So I think I just need to see the movie again to truly appreciate it, which the Mm -hmm. same could be said about uh, a ghost story for me, too. I feel like that movie is really rich with like subtext that repeat viewings just keep like giving more and more to it. So that's that's Lowry's style. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, Do you have anything you want to promote? Yeah, I guess I'll be that guy. Um, (laughs) Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me, guys. And uh, it was super fun. And uh, yeah, I just wrapped on a uh, new short film called Ethan and Edna. And we are going to try to have it completed in mid-September. And then we're going to start a little festival run and stuff. But um, just want to say thank you to everyone who's supported it so far. We had like a pretty Mm -hmm. successful Kickstarter campaign. And uh, all your cool stuff that you got as a part of donating is going to be on the way as soon as we finish uh, putting this movie together. And then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's really it. Uh, just look out for that. And, uh, yeah, I had a great time today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd uh, love to have you back. Absolutely. I would love to come back. Hell yeah. Ethan and Edna, uh, I was on there. I was on the set for two days. I uh, really enjoyed working on it. I think it's a really good script. I think the performances are really good. And I'm excited to see the finished product of that. You should also check out Tinbox. We have 
a couple Bomb Squad members who had the privilege of working on Tin Box. It's a great film. I was a producer on that. My proudest cinematic achievement. Oh, that's, well, that's humbling. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, uh, yeah, Tin Box uh, is where I met a lot of the Bomb Squad people. Uh, we had a great time working on it. And the thing that I really take a lot of pride in is that, like, you guys all knew each other, but I feel like on my end, like, genuine friendships were kind of formed on that movie. So that'll always hold a special place in my heart. And Tin Box is on YouTube and Vimeo. Uh, just search Tin Box, maybe Tin Box, Andy Compton. And it'll come up. All right. So that's about going to do it for us. So now I'm going to do the thing and say thank you all for tuning in. If you are listening on the audio platforms, feel free to leave a review so that uh, we can get boosted in the algorithms. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. Uh, there's there's a like button for liking. There's a subscribe button for subscribing. And there's a bell icon that makes your phone go ding when we upload stuff. And feel free to leave a comment below. Tell us what you thought about The Green Knight. Um, and are we, are we smart? Are we dumb? Why is he green? <laughs> Rank us by intelligence. Rank us by intelligence in the comments. Uh, there, there we go. <laughs> I'm scared. I'll, I'll, Don't I'll, actually do that. I'll plummet. I'll plummet to the bottom. <laughs> What's your bomb squad March Madness? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So All right. yeah, that that about does it for us today. Uh, we are signing out. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, it's not easy being green. Take care. <laughs>